You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Genesis 7. We're going to be reading all of Genesis 7 and all of Genesis 8 this morning. Genesis 7 verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days, forty nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons, wives with him, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind. Every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, And all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth, 
Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his wife's sons went with them. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and praise you for this reading of your holy and sacred word. Father, we look to you this morning that you may teach us from this passage. Uh, For many of us, this may be a, a very familiar passage. And Father, help us to not be blinded by the familiarity of it, We pray, Father, that you would teach us afresh from from your word and that you would not only uh, reach uh, our heads, but, Father, you'd be pleased to reach our hearts and that, Father, we would find ourselves wonderfully changed uh, through this whole exercise, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What do we do when God seems to be silent. I mean, have you ever had that experience? See some heads, you know. um, Have you ever gone through seasons where God seems to be really far away? Um, That's one of the things I really want to talk about this morning. The main point that I want to make this morning really is three words. The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And the whole idea for this sermon comes really from the first verse of of chapter 8. Even when God seems so far away, the Lord has not forgotten us. He remembers when we go through seasons of silence, and if you've never had that experience, because I, I don't see every head nodding up and down, um, if you have never gone through that experience, in all likelihood, you probably will. Um, it seems that it's God's pleasure uh, for seasons of time to, um, it's not that he withdraws from us, but it feels like he is withdrawing from us. It feels like he is silent. And we must always keep to heart that the Lord remembers. He always, always remembers. Now, over the last few weeks, we have seen that God has come to know with a promise. And in chapter 6, verse 13, and we've looked at this passage a number of times, 
God comes to Noah and he says, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And we know the story. God gave Noah an assignment to build this massive vessel. Um, and without a doubt, after Noah receives this word, his whole life really revolves around this promise. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I could put it, perhaps, I think that's the, probably the best way we could put it, rather than saying that his life revolves around this assignment. I think it's better to say his life revolves around this promise because there's more going on than simply building a boat, isn't there? God's making a promise, and he's promising that the waters of judgment are coming. Um, and it's probably been, I say 100 plus years, because in all probability it's probably been 120 years. We, we can't be dogmatic about that. I mean, I don't think we can, but in all likelihood, it's been 120 years. If you look at verse 3 of chapter 6, uh, there we read where God says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh his days shall be 120 years. Now, if we're assuming that verse 3 comes around the same time that Noah receives the promise from God, then it's been 120 years. Does that make sense? And it's probably been a hundred plus years. Uh, so for a hundred plus years, Noah has feverishly built this massive vessel. And if we think of the sheer size of this vessel and the fact that, you know, this thing's being constructed by hand. Trees are being felled by hand. They're being dried by hand. The joints and everything, you know, we got some woodworkers in the bunch. And that's... It would take a very, it would take decades and decades and decades of hard work to build this thing, wouldn't it? Uh, decades and decades. But when we turn to chapter 7, verse 1, the time has finally come. The time is here, if you look there with me. It's then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Now there's a couple of things about that I want to uh, take notice of here. One is it's a command. It's a command. God is telling Noah. He's commanding Noah to get into the boat. But I also want you to note that it's a call. It's actually a call. You know, it's, uh, in, in our household, once in a while, Tammy will give me a call. And the call is, it's time to eat. You know, it's one of those kinds of calls. Uh, it's a command, but it's a call. And it's a call that not only comes to Noah and his family, but it's also a call that comes to the animal life. I mean, after all, here's your assignment. This afternoon, go out into the woods and grab two of everything that's out there, male and female. You know, go, go get a male possum and a female possum. Go get a male squirrel and a female squirrel. Go get a male coyote and a female coyote. 
Go get a male rabbit and a female rabbit. I mean, good luck with that. Um, I don't think they're going to come to you and just, like, be interested in coming along. And if they did, I'm not sure they'd get along together anyway. Um, could you imagine getting a lion into this ark? A rhino? How about a cobra? So, these are things we don't think of. I mean, the, the God who rules over all things, you know, we think of God often as subduing our hearts, but he also has to subdue the hearts of, of these animals, these elect animals, if you will, because God does choose which ones are going to live, doesn't he? And he subdues their hearts. The same God who's ruling over Noah's heart is ruling, ruling over the hearts of these animals. Now, how does Noah react to this? If you look at verse 5, chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. You see, there's a command here. Uh, there's a command, but I want, I want us to see there's also a call. There's a call. There's an inward call. On Wednesday evening, I made a point to show that our surrender, our surrender to uh, Christ is largely proportional to our belief that Jesus is Lord. Uh, we could put that another way, that our surrender is largely proportional to God's sovereignty, to how we believe and how much we believe that God is truly sovereign. And Noah fully believes that God can and will make good on this promise. That's why he's been feverishly building this boat for the last hundred plus years. If he didn't believe that, he wouldn't have built the ark. Or he may have started the ark and he probably wouldn't have completed it to the end. But he believes that. And I think it was J.C. Ryle. Don't hold me to it, but I think it was J.C. Ryle that said that God doesn't save anyone he can't command. Um, I think it's a good little proverb to store up in our hearts. God doesn't save anyone that he can't command. Um, and thus, verse 5, we read the words that Noah did all that the Lord commanded. Noah's reaction is one of obedience. If you skip down to verse 13 and following, on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, with them they entered the ark, every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. That had to have been magnificent. Noah and his family, they obey. You know, there's an old hymn, and recently, over the last couple of uh, Lord's Days, I, um, I've turned to it, and I've been kind of strumming along with it, you know, just in the afternoons on my guitar. It's just, just an old hymn, and it's called Trust and Obey. Some of you may know that hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Trust and obedience, they're, they're two different things, but where there is saving trust, there will always be obedience. Where there is saving trust, there will always be obedience. And we're going to see this. We're going to see that this is really important in a few minutes. But let me say this in the meantime. You know, we're not saved by our obedience. You know, we can't remind ourselves of that enough. Because we are wired a certain way where, you know, we, we, we really are, are in tune with the, that, that Christmas song. You better 
watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, because I'm telling you why. That, that's where our fallen hearts have a tendency to live, is that we could be saved by our, our obedience. We're not saved by obedience, but saving faith will always produce obedience. It always will. And um, uh, therefore, the Lord could say to Noah, you know, seeing that he had built the ark, the Lord could say to Noah, I see that you, that you are righteous in your generation. What, why, why would God say that? Why would God say to Noah, I see that you're righteous? Is Noah being saved by his obedience? No, he's not being saved by his obedience. Noah's being saved the same way all of us are being saved. Noah believes God. He received a promise from God and he believes it. And because he believes it, he's been busy, busy building the ark. And because he's built the ark, the Lord sees that he's righteous. I can see you're righteous. You've been on this project since I gave it to you. You know, I've been with you the whole time. I've seen what you've done. I see that you're, see that you're righteous. And while I'm on this subject, let me say that our assurance is inexorably tied to our obedience. Our assurance is inexorably tied to our obedience. I mean, true believers can backslide. We can slip up. We can go to the left. We can go to the right. Uh, it happens. Uh, but as a true believer walks in disobedience, one of the first things that's going to happen is we're going to lose our, our sense of assurance. What do I mean by assurance? That, that peaceful inner conviction that we're right with God. That peaceful inner conviction that we're walking with God. That we're walking in a, in a trajectory, in a direction that is heaven-bound. You, we'll lose that if we walk in disobedience. We won't have that if we walk in disobedience. Hold on to that. It'll become important in a few minutes. So let's recap. Where have we been? Well, the time has come. The time has come. The Lord has both commanded and called uh, His elect. Noah, his family, the wildlife, they all enter the earth, into the ark. And what takes place next is really beautiful. Look with me to verse 16. There we read that those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And look at that last sentence. You know, the scripture memory verse actually was chosen around this sentence because early on, like through half the week, I was going to really center on this, on this uh, verse. Namely, the Lord shot him in. Yeah, yes, it's, it's a good sermon in that one, you know. But towards the end of the week, I started moving in a different direction. But look how beautiful that is. The Lord shut them in. I, I think that we, we read that and we might not be able to explain it or articulate it to somebody around us, but we still get it even though we might not be able to put it into words. What is that about? Well, the Lord closed the door. What is that about? Well, it very graphically illustrates the Lord's power to save us, doesn't it? And really, it, it very graphically, I mean, he could have said, no, I shut the door and lock it. I'll protect you. But he doesn't do that. Our God doesn't do that. You know, it's like, you know, we don't tell the kids to get in the back seat and buckle up. And we do after they're a certain age, but it's only after many, many times we've put the kids in the back seat. And what did we do? We buckled them up. As kids, we don't probably think of that. When I was a kid, we didn't get buckled up. We fought over a wheel well in the back of the Jeep. Times have changed. But um, 
Some of us are looking like, what's a wheel well? <laughs> it's a story for another day. Um, we're getting old. <laughs> it happens. Um, but just think of that exercise. You know, your, your children are getting in. Uh, little Evie gets in a seat and, you know, Aiden gets in a seat and, and you buckle him up. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? He just sits there. She just sits there and you buckle them up. The elect of God, they get in the ark. And it's almost like they take their seats and God buckles them up. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't leave that for someone else to do. Look at what comes next. As we think about God's power to save, as we think about the ride that they're about to get, look at verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. A few weeks ago, when that real bad storm went through, I was out at the garage when that happened. And, um, you know, some of you know, at my brother's garage, it's a steel building. It's well insulated. So it's like, um, there is some sound dead in there. But when you get, when, when rain hits that building, you can hear it pretty good, especially when it's raining really hard. But when this storm came, I mean, I saw it getting dark. There's only windows in the garage doors, and I saw it getting dark. Uh, but when that rain hit, the air compressor was running at that time, and I actually could hear this storm over top of that air compressor echoing in that building. And I thought to myself, man, I'm going to check this out. And I went to one of the man doors and opened the man door, and when I opened it, I could feel the force of the wind that would have liked to just take the door right out of your hands. And so I thought, well, I want to watch this, and the windows that are in the building are high. You have to get on a ladder to see them. There was the scissor lift was near the the windows, and I just got in the scissor lift, and, and I'm looking out the out the windows and watching this thing, and oh my goodness, was that a storm? And as it turns out, I mean, the garage actually was in direct line of what, at the very least, was a microburst because it went right over top of the property, it went right over top of the garage, and. Some of you are familiar with Racetrack Road. I don't know if, Cody, if you've been out there, but um, Racetrack Road, there were all kind of trees twisted and down. The road was closed for probably 12 hours, I would guess. A lot of people lost their electric. Um, I watched that whole storm, and I'm going to guess that it lasted about 35 minutes. The storm that's being described for us in our text lasted for 40 days. 40 days. 
Just imagine what the Weather Channel would do with that one. Huh? In the Genesis narrative, verses 19 to 20 of chapter 7, we're told that the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. A cubit is approximately 18 inches, so that's 27 feet of water above the highest mountain. If you looked out this window here, I'm going to hazard a guess that from these windows down to the sidewalk, especially as the sidewalk descends, maybe down in the kitchen corner there, you're probably about 27 feet, I'm going to guess, to the to the sidewalk approximately. Uh, this is the third story, and you'd be three stories down. Uh, these are high ceilings. Um, imagine the highest peak of the world being covered under enough water to cover this building. Um, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? But Noah and his family and the wildlife are on board the ark that had been shut in by God's hand. They're buckled in their seats. They're sealed by the protective hand of God and they're safe in His saving arms. And there's another detail in our text that maybe we don't think much of or maybe we've never even thought of at all. And, and that's the amount of time that Noah and his family spend in the ark. This is why I changed directions. I started to meditate on that. The, the, the amount of time that they're in this vessel. You know, chapter 7, verse 11 tells us that Noah entered the ark on the 17th day of the second month of the 600th year of his life. And if you look at chapter 8, verse 14, it tells us that Noah exited the ark on the 27th day of the second month the following year. The following year year. They spend a whole year in this boat. And I don't see any evidence from the text that the Lord speaks to Noah during that time. I, I, I don't want to be dogmatic about that. I, I don't want to argue from silence. That's not usually a very good argument. It doesn't mean that he didn't, but I think, and I've got reasons I'll explain in a few minutes, first of which I think there'd be a little bit of a record if he had. I, I, I think the Lord shuts them in and I think he goes silent. I, I really believe that he's silent for this period of time. And, and, and imagining that he is, I mean, let's try to imagine that. I mean, Noah doesn't know how long he's going to be in the ark. I suppose he could surmise from the amount of food that's stored up. For surely the Lord wouldn't let them starve to death in the ark. But I want to remind us that that is a conviction that rests completely on faith. Faith that can waver. Noah's not sitting in the boat with an Old and New Testament. And faith can waver. I mean, do you see where I'm going here? I mean, I... I think we can easily understand how our faith could waver. I think we could look at the food supply, especially as it's becoming depleted, and think, are we going to have enough food? Will the ship hold together? Are these animals going to remain friendly? 
You know, no, just so you know, I mean, the cobra's out of his cage again. Uh, let's chase him and find him. It could be anywhere. And the lions seem a little bit restless. And the fox, he's got that look on his face every, you know, he's getting that look on his face, especially as he goes past the chickens. What do we do when God seems to go silent? And here, you know, here in the midst of Noah's assignment, I, I think the Lord is largely silent. What does, what does Noah do? Well, here, here's a real technical phrase for you you'll like. He keeps on keeping on. You like that one? I don't think you'll find that in any theological dictionaries. I don't remember where I heard it from. I think I heard it from somebody, or I may have read it somewhere. Maybe I made it up. I don't know. I don't really remember, but it seems to me that I think I remember hearing it from somebody or reading it somewhere. But I like it. No, it keeps on keeping on. I mean, really, what else can he do? I mean, um, what else could he do? He's in the boat. Sometimes we think we have all these options, you know, we can do this or we can do that, but the fact of the matter is go try to take one of those options. Go ahead and try to do one of those things. Oftentimes you discover you really don't have as many options as you think you have. You really don't. I mean, I'm sure there's some place all of us would like to go this afternoon, but are you going to go? You're probably not going to be able to. What's Noah going to do? Well, Noah keeps looking to God. He... He keeps looking to God. He knows his assignment and he sticks with his assignment and he keeps looking to God. And the same thing is true of us. What do we do when God seems silent? Well, we keep on keeping on. That's what we do. But assurance is so crucial here. I mean, you remember assurance? I brought it up and asked you to kind of hold on to that for a couple minutes. I mean, these are difficult times. And when God brings these seasons into our lives, he, he doesn't do it to be mean. Never think that he's doing anything to us to be mean. God is not mean. He's kind. He's merciful. He does it to exercise and strengthen our faith. And assurance is so important here. I mean, disobedience is a wrecking ball to that. I mean, disobedience is absolutely a wrecking ball to that. And again, what do I mean by assurance? It's that peaceful conviction that we're right with God. Because you see, if we don't have the assurance and God seems to go silent, what are we going to be thinking? We're going to be thinking we're being punished, and sometimes God does discipline us by going silent when we're disobedient. When we're disobedient, and He'll use that silence to bring us back to obedience. When we know we're not on the right, when we know we're not doing things the right way, when we know we need to get back to the center. God will oftentimes use that, but not always. Sometimes God goes silent, and we're tracking along, and we're doing everything that we can. And it's it's important. Disobedience will destroy that peace. Seasons of silence are, are really overwhelming when we lose that peaceful conviction. And this is not the biggest reason why obedience is so important. Obedience is important because it's pleasing to God. That's the main reason. But this is also a really important reason. What's the key to obedience? I mean, we all want to be obedient. What's the key to it? We already studied and answered that question, didn't we? If you look back to Genesis 6 and verse 9, that simple sentence is at the end. Noah walked with God. That's a simple sentence, all of us. Noah walked with God. Let's all say it together. Noah walked with God. That simple little sentence. When we walk with each other, we're in company of one another, aren't we? 
Noah walked with God. Fellowship is key here. And what do we do to maintain and prosper in that fellowship? You're actually doing the most important thing that there is to do in maintaining fellowship with God. You're doing it right now. It's public worship. A lot of times we don't think that's so important, but let me ask you this question. As soon as we get off to the left or we get off to the right, what's the first thing that seems to go? It's our desire to want to be here. Because something else has our heart, and we got a little free time, we want to pursue that something else with our heart. But this is, this is the most important thing that we can do through the week to maintain our fellowship. We need each other. But most importantly, we need God. And where is, where is God? He's right here in our midst, is He not? Especially this morning as we come to the table that we often call what? Starts with a C, anyone. Communion. It's so very, very important. We may be tempted to think so little of public worship, but we're being influenced this morning. We don't realize all of the ways that we're being influenced. We, you know, we can leave here and say, man, the sermon was long and it was boring. And unfortunately, sometimes that's the case. And that's a bad combination, you know, long and boring. Boring ones should be short, short and boring. Um, just a joke, everyone. You're supposed to laugh. I need one of those lights. That, um, but this is crucial. This is, God feeds us during these times. And, but back to when God seems to be silent. There's something else that we can do, and you can write this down. Store, store up God's track record in your heart. Write that down. Store up God's track record in your heart. We get to know a person by their track record. We get to know everybody. We're all the time learning about people, learning about each other based on our track record. What are they like? How, how, what are people like? Store up God's track record. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look to his record of faithfulness in past times. You know, think, think about the times where you were up against it and God came to your side. And it was very clear that it was God who came to your side. We probably all could share stories, unless you've just started walking with God very recently. Um, if, you, if you have just started walking with God very recently, well, you're going you're gonna to have some stories in the future. Because God will take you to places where you, you just don't have any recourse. You just, he'll take you right out to the end of the rope where there's just nothing else you can do. You don't have, you, you just, you just don't have any other recourse. And you'll feel like you're all alone and there's nothing you can do. And you call on God and you call on God and in his timing, he'll deliver you. And as he does, now you have a story. And you hold that story close to your heart. That's his track record. But more importantly, if you don't have any stories, there's plenty of stories in the Bible, and you look to God's track record in the Scriptures. And what I really want this morning is I want Genesis 8 to become one of those stories to you so that when you look, you can look at Genesis 8. If you're going through a time 
when God seems to be silent. You can go to Genesis 8 and you can think, well, I don't know, maybe God did speak to Noah during this time, but I'm kind of inclined to think that God didn't speak to Noah. And I'll tell you why. I'm, I'm, one of the real reasons I'm inclined to believe that God didn't speak to Noah during this time is because of what we have in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 8. This really hit me this week. Notice chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah. Now, does that verse work if God has been communicating with Noah all along? Yeah. It doesn't nullify it in any way. But I think this verse sets better in the context of silence. That's my own personal conviction. You're free to take it or leave it. I think that it's that chapter 8, verse 1 fits better in a context of silence. But either way, what is clear is that the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And He remembers in a really remarkable way. Look at the second part of, of chapter 8, verse 1. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Now, what's so remarkable about that? One thing is that the word for wind, the Hebrew word ruach, is also the word for spirit. It's also the word for spirit. So God made his wind blow over the earth, subduing the waters of his judgment. Or let me put it another way. God made his wind blow over the earth, taking away the waters of judgment. Or, I could put it another way, God breathed life back into creation. That's what he's doing, isn't it? Where did the dove get the freshly plucked olive branch? From the breath of God. As he remembers Noah, he's going to need that olive branch. The wildlife on the boat are going to need that vegetation. Their food supply is going to run out. God causes a wind to blow over the creation because he remembers those who are his. And the Lord is still doing the same thing today, isn't he? Isn't it amazing? We think of this stuff as the way, you know, God did all this stuff way back then. Now he's got something else different going on. And really, the more you study it, the more you see, you know, it's, it's, it's all pointing to what God is doing. How does... What does God do? I mean, what is God in the business of doing? By way of His Holy Spirit, He breathes life into spiritually dead souls, doesn't He? How does the Lord find us? Does He find us spiritually alive and praising God? And doing, Is that how we come out of the box? Are we, are we born into this life just loving Jesus and wanting to follow Him and always obey our parents and all this? Is that how we come out of the box? No. <laughs> No, to listen to common culture, you would think that's how we come. That's not how we come. No one who's paying attention should ever come to the conclusion that's how we come. I never had to be taught to be a, to be a little monster. No one had to teach me that. And no one had to teach you that either, did they? I mean, the first time you, you, you hear a child, you know, as soon as they start to talk, it's wonderful they start to talk, but then they start to say what's on their mind. And oh my goodness, what's on their mind sometimes? And it requires correction, doesn't it? Why? 
It's because it's the way we come into this life. God has to do something. We're all as dependent as Noah and his family and the animal life on that ark. God has to do something. The good news is God does. He breathes life into us. And our eyes are open and we're brought into fellowship with Him. So we see here, I'm making the argument that there's silence while they're on the, on the, on the ark, largely silence. The Lord remembers. And let me close with what I think is the best part. When God seems silent, whether you believe God was silent during the time of the, of the ark floating above the waters, whether you believe that or not, this one is for sure. When God seems silent, we, look, we can look to Genesis 8, and then we can look backwards, and then look forwards. What do I mean by that? Okay, start in Genesis 8. There Noah and his family are on the ark. Let's look backwards to a promise in Genesis 3 and verse 15. What is that promise? That promise we've looked at many times. It's the promise of a son. God is promising a son. A son who will come and do what? He will come and bruise the head of the serpent. In other words, he will come, and the NIV puts it, crush the head of Satan. He will come and crush his head. Now, it's easy to forget about that promise when we're, 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 you know, we're with the weather channel and we're reporting on the flood and the rain and everything else. It's easy to forget about that. Has God forgotten about that promise? I mean, Noah's the only family left. It's only Noah. I mean, in Genesis 5, we have this great testimony of the church, people calling upon the name of the Lord. And by the time we get to Genesis 6, there's just one family left. And there they are. They're on the boat. What about Genesis 3.15? What about the promise? The author to the letter of Hebrews says something that is so interesting in chapter 7 as he's referring to Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek. If you don't know anything about that, you can read about that this afternoon. I don't have time to go into the whole thing. But Abraham, who comes, Abraham, who's a contemporary of Melchizedek, pays tithes to Melchizedek. And the author to the letter of Hebrews is speaking about Levi, who is the head of the Levitical priesthood. And he says that there's a sense in which Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was in the loins of Abraham. Levi is a child of, uh, of Abraham, born many, many years later. And we could take that, and we could take that to say that where is the son? Well, in this sense, the son is in the loins of Noah. And in this sense... Son, you're in the boat, isn't he? And he won't come for many, many, many years later. But we know the story. The Lord remembers. The Son does come. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he does indeed do everything that is promised. We've got to store this in our heart. This is God's track record. We store his track record in our heart. And that is what we use when God seems to go silent. We have our own stories from our own personal testimony. 
But more importantly, we have the stories of Scripture. But we see God's track record. Jesus comes. Jesus dies on the cross. He's victorious over Satan. On the third day, he rose from the grave. Forty days later, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he is seated in session and enthroned in the heavens above. Amen? The Lord remembered Noah on the ark. And the Lord will always remember us. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Father, for this truth that we have, Father. And Father, we pray that you would encourage each of us. Father, encourage all of us, O Lord, afresh with these promises. Encourage us with your track record. Help us to see and to continually store this track record up in our hearts. And may it, may it be, an, uh, really, may it well within us just an, a new impetus to want to follow you and to obey you even, even further, even more than we do now. Help us to see the beauty of you shutting Noah and his family in and seeing that you do the same thing for all those who come to Christ. As, we, as you give us faith and we, we exercise that faith, trusting in Jesus, you shut us in and you protect us from the judgment to come, but more so, you breathe life into us. You breathe your, your heavenly life into our souls. And Father, we thank you and praise you for these things. And Lord, we're encouraged this morning to know that you always remember. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.